This is the Lindell Report, bringing you news combined with hope by offering practical and achievable action points to assist you in defending and preserving faith and freedoms. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. Brendan House in for Mike Lindell, who is meeting with some folks and encouraging some folks in the effort to fix 2020. So he has some meetings tonight and cannot be with us and asked me if I would sit in for him. Tonight I'm going to be joined by Terry Turchie. Terry Turchie is the former assistant deputy director of the counterterrorism division of the FBI. Did you hear that title, folks? Terry Turchie is the former assistant deputy director of the counterterrorism division of the FBI. He was one of the four, uh, three, I think three men that were there the day they knocked on uh, the Unabomber's door in his little cabin out in the woods. He was one of the three men that knocked on his door. He also was involved in the USS bomb, uh, USS coal bombing as well. He's author of a book, I'll show it to you here in a minute, called uh, In Their Own Words in their own words, subtitled something to the effect of the Democratic Party's push toward a communist America. I'm doing this all off the top of my head. Uh, so I think that is the accurate subtitle, or very close. Um, Terry's going to join us tonight to talk about the current state of the FBI, but also the rise of communism in America, because that's one of the things he was involved in. I've also been doing more research on the FBI and how the communists have been able to penetrate America and, of course, some of that is through a guy by the name of U.S. Senator Frank Church and the church hearings and the Pike Committee. We'll get into all that, the deep state, uh, the weather underground bill errors types, and uh, really the, the, the Marxist revolution going on in America today. Terry, welcome to the Lindell Report. Thank you for joining us tonight. Brandon, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Always an honor to have you with us. Give our audience a little bit of your bio. I did, did I get all that right, most of it? I think you've done pretty well, Rannon, as you always do. Uh, <laughs> just very briefly, I retired as the Deputy Assistant Director of the Counterterrorism Division. We actually had just established a counterterrorism division back in, uh, in early 2000, and uh, I retired in uh, April of 2001. Prior to that, we, we did not actually have an operational division in the FBI devoted to counterterrorism. We had two operational divisions, one devoted to counterintelligence and another devoted to, uh, obviously, all of our criminal investigations. And so uh, counterterrorism had become such an issue throughout the 90s, uh, throughout Unabom, uh, the, the run of the Unabomber from 1978 to 1996. And then, of course, uh, during the 90s, we had significant uh, internal domestic terror. We had uh, activities related to the Unabomber. We had the uh, uh, Oklahoma City bombing, and obviously we had the uh, Olympic bombing, which kind of brought up the last few years between 96 and 98, involving Eric Robert Rudolph. So a lot of that was going on. And then, of course, uh, in uh, the middle of 1998, we were uh, hit overseas with the um, bombings of our embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. And that kind of began a period of began a period of time where very unique. We had both a rise in domestic terrorism within the US and we had all of this activity that was beginning to go on overseas. So the FBI was prompted to uh, recommend to Congress and uh, got the approval for the creation of the counterterrorism division. Uh, excellent. And here is the uh, book. It's available on Amazon. 
Here's the book available on Amazon uh, by Terry Turchi in their own words. I'm going to try to bring it up here, make you see, see it better, but it went black on me. I don't know why. The screen went dark. But anyway, there's the book in their own words, subtitled, The Democrat Party's Push for a Communist America, in their own words. So you can get it right off Amazon. Where, where else can they get it, Terry? Any other website you want them to go to? Actually, they can get it almost anywhere. All you have to do is really put in the title. This book actually came out in February of 2020, a number of months before the uh, election. And uh, it was prompted by the idea that I had had interactions with a number of primarily former FBI agents, but all of us were becoming more and more concerned about what was happening to the FBI. And really, uh, when we talk today, Brandon, about FBI, it's really the FBI today in name only. It's kind of like having a product switch on you. Remember the days when uh, millions of people wanted to tour the FBI at FBI headquarters and people, American citizens in poll after poll, usually put the FBI right at the top of the list on, Amer on public institutions, which they trusted the most Absolutely. and had most faith in. And, and the FBI, that wasn't by accident. The FBI worked so hard to establish that because we recognized from generation to generation that we needed the public trust and we needed to be there defending Americans and American citizens' rights. And, and the FBI literally became kind of a balance between uh, all sorts of corruption and treason and all these things that go on that are human nature and, and our institutions. And that's why the FBI had a reputation for decades of being the organization that spoke up and spoke out and spoke with authority about communism. And uh, by the time Watergate occurred and we reached those hearings that you mentioned when you were talking about the uh, church committee, the U.S. government began very slowly, and it evolved it evolved over the next decades, uh, tearing down literally everything that we had built up in government to protect our institutions from the inside. And so when the FBI defended and spoke with authority about communism, that's what they were talking about. It was the biggest threat to our uh, Constitution. And today, ironically, uh, the very kinds of things the FBI talked about then, it is totally silent about today, because today it has unfortunately become highly politicized and highly compromised. It is not the same FBI. And I think people <coughs> need to know that. When we talk about the FBI today, I don't really mean it as a as uh, some disgruntled former employee who, who's being very critical. I think people need to know that there are many, many former agents that want the public to start getting very testy about what politicians have allowed to happen to the FBI. I'm primarily talking about the Democratic Party. And in this book, uh, the, uh, in their own words, the Democratic push towards a communist America, the bottom line is this. Back in the, in the 60s and 70s, you mentioned Prairie Fire, and you mentioned Bill Ayers. The weather underground was tearing up our cities uh, in, the, uh, in the day of the Vietnam War. They were using all those people that wanted to protest Vietnam as their own ammunition to be out in the streets and to make it look like Americans were, uh, were really upset with their government. Well, they were upset with their government, but they didn't want it overthrown. But the weather underground did, and that's what they were working to do. Who did they ally with to do that? the Black Panther Party that was uh, developed and organized and, and kind of sprung up out of Oakland, California. And uh, everything that was going on then at that point in time 
and, and the uh, bombings at our, against our institutions, against military installations, the attacks on law enforcement, ambushes of law enforcement officers by the, uh, uh, by, by the allies of the Black Panther Party, for example, the Black Liberation Army, all of these things were going on, and the FBI and law enforcement acted, and we, we, it, it, we put an end to it. And uh, it was the very idea of putting an end to all of that and protecting the Constitution and stopping cities and, and uh, military installations from being attacked. It was that very idea that uh, attracted the ear of the, uh, of the church committee. And uh, instead of focusing uh, after, after all of the Watergate on what really happened there and on how to prevent that and how to pol- prevent that kind of political corruption – they went after the FBI and, uh, and COINTELPRO and uh, tried to really influence Americans then. But it didn't really work with respect to the relationship between the FBI and Americans. It did work with respect to what they did to the government. They literally destroyed the defenses or began the process of destroying the defenses the U.S. government had put in place to stop these people with this communist ideology from getting inside of government. Today – you have the answer to why did the FBI do that? Or why did the FBI worry so much about that? Well, if you're proud of your country today and what the U.S. government is doing to it, uh, I think that uh, you should really question that because that is the answer. Everything going on in the U.S. government today kind of sprung from the ideology that was being peddled back then and is uh, is now being manifested by people who are in political power how did the Weather Underground kind of end its run? By writing the manifesto, Prairie Fire, and by literally saying, we have to take over the reins of power, and then we'll have our revolution. And so we have to be patient. And uh, although we're not going to eliminate the idea of violence, and that is exactly where America is today. Wow. You know, here, this is uh, in my documentary part two of Brainwashed America. People, you can watch Brainwashed America part one for free, all two hours for free at brainwashedthemovie.com, brainwashedthemovie.com. Part two, I've already started post-production on. It's been filmed. It's being post-edited and put together uh, right now, and it'll be out this fall, Lord willing. And so in part two, I'm looking at uh, the 12 systematic steps of how you brainwash people, having studied what the communists did to our POWs during the Korean War and what the communists did to the Chinese people when they took over China in 1949. One of them is to move leaders out of the way, to get rid of courageous, brave, moral, patriotic leaders, get them out of the way. And we saw that in the POW camps of the Korean War, they would send anyone that was an officer, that was highly educated, that was religious, that showed any leadership ability, particularly leadership to organize and resist, they would be sent off to what were called reactionary camps. And they only had to move 5% of the American POWs away from the other 95%. So if they could move 5% of the American POWs that were deemed to be reactionary, i.e. leaders, away from the other 95, that other 95%, they could brainwash them. They could get them to to go along. Well, that's kind of where I pick up with Brainwashed America Part 2. And in that, I'm asking the question, how did we start moving leaders out of the way from doing their job to oppose the commonization of America. And uh, that led me to, well, continued research. And of course, I turned to a book by 
my friend, the late John Stormer. The book he wrote that Ronald Reagan used to buy by the case and give away, None Dare Call It Treason. Here it is on a slide. He writes, John Stormer, the congressional committees which once investigated communist activity were abolished in the mid-1970s. Since then, the FBI has been forbidden to investigate domestic communists or keep them under surveillance unless there is evidence that a crime has been committed. As a result, ongoing FBI investigations of communist activity in America dropped from 24,000, 24,414 in 1973 to 51 in 1983. And the one that he pins this on is the picture of this man right here, U.S. Senator Frank Church, a U.S. Senator from Idaho. And uh, before I give this next quote, would you like to comment on what I've just read from John Stormer's uh, excellent book, which, by the way, I think has now had 75 years since it's been out. Uh, I think it was originally published, well, not 75 years, sorry, 20, it was 25 years ago in the early 90s, so who knows what it is now. It's over 50 years now since it's been published, uh, and it's sold over 7 million copies. But that's what he wrote many years ago. Would you comment on that about the FBI uh, you know, being stopped from doing the investigations that they otherwise were able to do before that? Sure. The FBI focused, as I said, on the Communist Party and how it used its members to try to infiltrate government agencies and to try and spot and recruit other people who could, over the next decades, infiltrate government agencies. And uh, this, was, this was a significant aspect of what the FBI did back when I first joined it in the 70s. And the basis of all of this was that there was the development of, uh, of an informant, an individual in, in counterintelligence. We call it an FCI or Foreign Counterintelligence Asset. And this individual was named uh, Morris Childs. And Morris was actually, ironically, he was a Ukrainian-American. And he was uh, developed by the KGB as a uh, very prized asset back in the uh, – late 1920s, uh, maybe 1930. And uh, they used him and his membership in the Communist Party of the United States to do a number of things. And he became a very trusted asset of the Soviet KGB. In 1952, I think it was, an FBI agent in Chicago recruited him, in other words, doubled him to start working for the FBI. And he would go on, Morris Childs, and to a lesser degree, his brother Jack, would go on to work for the FBI for the next two decades. And during that time, they essentially let the FBI know and were in the middle of helping coordinate the Soviet passage, the KGB passage, of over $28 million to the Communist Party of the United States in the form of $1 million in cash every year carried into the country, into New York City, through a diplomatic pouch, and then provided to and handed over then to the KGB in, uh, or to the uh, Communist Party uh, through a parking lot exchange, usually in Brooklyn in the middle of the night. And that is really the long and the short of it. And while, while Childs was in the CPUSA and while he was becoming so close to uh, so many very influential uh, communists in including uh, Kosygin and Brezhnev, who were in charge at the time, uh, Childs was able to identify a lot of things that were going on and, uh, and other people who were uh, helping the KGB at the time against the American target. And his effort 
and again, to a lesser degree, his brother Jack, their effort was so significant that in uh, 1986-87 time frame, as I recall, uh, President Ronald Reagan gave them the Medal of Freedom. That was really ironic because about 10 years earlier, they had gotten the, uh, the most prestigious KGB or Soviet award, the Order of the Red Banner. So these people were, uh, were busy, and uh, they really helped uh, America and, uh, and did the right thing when they were approached uh, early on by the FBI. So they're kind of the basis of much of what um, we know and knew then about the Communist Party. And I, I will end it like this for, for uh, years, every year, uh, you know, throughout most of my lifetime. The Communist Party of the USA always ran its own presidential ballot. And they use some of that money provided by the KGB and, you know, to get publicity and things like that. And uh, interestingly, the very first time, the only time that they decided not to run a slate of candidates on their own representing the Communist Party was when they put out the word that, look, go ahead and vote for Joe Biden as president. Uh, He's the best way we're going to get our way. And so we're not going to run anybody to get in the way of that this year. And in 2020, the Communist Party of the United States endorsed Joe Biden for president. And that's the first time that it ever happened in decades, right? That is the first time that ever happened, period. Wow. Wow. Because they always would run their own candidate until Joe Biden. Absolutely. So, so tell me how Frank Church ha- helped to neuter the FBI. So as, uh, as the Watergate investigation continued and then kind of reached its end and then uh, Congress became concerned about the massive authority that they then believed that the FBI had, they decided to start conducting hearings on something called COINTELPRO. COINTELPRO stands for essentially counterintelligence program. And COINTELPRO was put together to neutralize the activities of the Weather Underground, of the Black Panther Party, of some of these organizations that had declared themselves to be communist-minded and who endorsed and who stood for and who were pushing the overthrow of the U.S. government, period. That's what they were doing. This is not fiction. This is not debatable. This is what they were doing. It is what they themselves wrote, as I say in this book, in their own words. The Black Panther Party wrote its own 10-point uh, program and outlined exactly and specifically what it was intending to do. And uh, none of it was really uh, in anyone's best interest, including black Americans. The uh, Prairie Fire crowd, the Weather Underground, went even a step further. They had a massive blueprint, which they were going to uh, do everything they could to implement. And uh, they called what they wanted to do resistance. And I find that somewhat ironic. They they said in their Prairie Fire document, which was written in 1974 and kind of was their manifesto to the world. Now, remember, by this time, most of them were underground. They were were fugitives. They were in hiding. Their uh, overt and uh, violent acts had been stopped. So they go underground. They're trying to stay away from the FBI and the police. But they write their manifesto and essentially say, we'll be back. But here's what we're about and here's who we are. And one of the things in the Weather Underground Prairie Fire Manifesto was there are many faces to militant resistance. And uh, we know from history 
that we can use resistance in order to continue to carry out uh, our goal, which over the years is going to be, continue to be, to overthrow the government of the U.S. I found it fascinating. I found it absolutely fascinating that Donald Trump hadn't even been sworn in, hadn't even been sworn in, and we were already hearing about resistance. And he no sooner than uh, got to the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue after his inaugural that we were hearing people like Nancy Pelosi say, you know, the resistance summer coming up is so important. It's so, so many things are happening and so much is at stake for the American people. So, you know, uh, they were already using the same uh, words, the same phrases. And so it has become, since Biden was elected, even worse. Uh, I, I want people to know that if you were to take a look, and you, you don't need to believe me or, or take my word, this is not, uh, this is not arguable. You can make your own conclusion. And uh, everyone out there on the planet, everyone, I, I will wager a bet, uh, everyone who doesn't believe that there are 33 or 85 genders, but only, uh, only a male and a female, and, and you know we won't get into that any further, Anyone who doesn't believe all that stuff is going to be able to figure it out right away. The, the Democratic Party platform that preceded Joe Biden in the office and the Democratic Party platform from 2016, they could have been written by the same people who wrote Prairie Fire. Because in the Prairie Fire document, everything that is going on in America today was outlined by them in 1974. When, when uh, as he said, Senator uh, Church came along, he actually began, when he began to attack the FBI over COINTELPRO, what that led to was the idea that, look, the FBI is absolutely destroying the rights of American citizens. Well, that is just absolutely false. The FBI was trying to protect our cities. We were trying to protect people's rights, and we were trying to stop what was the real insurrection by the people who actually said, this is what our objective is, and then put violence behind their words. All of that was, according to Church, you know, overriding people's constitutional rights. And uh, the people, of course, were the fugitives and, and, uh, and all of the bandits that were trying to, uh, to overthrow the government. And so the government decided then, in the wake of the, of the uh, hearings, the Church Committee hearings, the FBI needed rules, they needed guidelines, and they needed to be uh, reined in. Now, look, I'm not uh, at all saying that you, can't, you cannot fail to keep an eye on any police organization, especially an organization as significant and powerful as the FBI. But the FBI always had a lot going on internally that kept, that from, uh, kept problems like that from occurring. Uh, but we watched in the 1970s. I was a clerk in the FBI in the early 70s, and didn't become an FBI agent until 1976. But we watched during that time as the, the U.S. government literally tore down its defenses against communism, didn't really want to talk about that. And, uh, and then over the last 50 years, we've seen all of it torn down. By the early 80s to maybe the mid-80s, the last vestiges of the FBI keeping uh, watch over communism in America was the Communist Party, essentially, and um, I'm talking about internally. And the, uh, in, at that period of time, the, uh, the FBI closed down entirely 
all of its domestic intelligence uh, collection and all of its uh, investigations on the Communist Party. Uh, the Soviet Union, a few years later, would collapse, and, uh, and the FBI went on to other things. The problem is everyone went on to other things, and you couldn't even have a logical discussion today with a, a kid in, uh, you know, uh, in uh, high school because they probably wouldn't even understand how to talk about communism being a threat. I mean, our own president, President Barack Obama, back as he was leaving office, among the many things we now know he was up to, he was down in South America literally mocking people who were, uh, who were still talking about communism as a threat and saying, look, this is to South Americans and, and the students down there, look, uh, choose what works best. It's all the same. Whether it's capitalism or communism, choose what works better for you. That's a president. That's a long, long road from what President John F. Kennedy, a Democrat, was saying to us during his inaugural address, which we all listened to and were inspired by, and probably many of us chose our careers based upon back in 1961. He understood. So what I'm trying to say here is none of us have changed if we still believe that's a threat. The Democratic Party has changed, and uh, it's changed for the, the very, very worse the things that the Democratic Party are doing today, I mean, every day, every week, uh, you, you see something else that really, if you're paying attention to human nature in the world, it causes you to really worry. I mean, just the other day, the, the latest uh, that got me all riled up was um, what apparently is going on in the military with the uh, kind of the woke training. It's still kind of out there and the uh, the pronoun usage and this is, this is not what the military is about. The U.S. military is about winning wars. It's not about separating people by all this nonsense. And that's where we are. This is being jammed down our throats. But again, all of these things, from the resistance, from uh, the idea of weakening the police and uh, calling the police racist and, and making the police the issue, all of that comes right off the pages of the Weather Underground's Prairie Fire and of the Black Panther Party 10-point plan. Uh, the idea of our borders uh, in, in Prairie Fire, it is very clear. Look, uh, nobody really particularly uh, believes that America has legitimate borders. And then it goes into a whole big uh, tirade about, in particular, America's southwest border and how it was stolen and how all of that has to be changed. So all of these things that we're dealing today as practical issues manifested a different way, all came out of those pages. And the people that were, many of the people that were involved with the Weather Underground or involved in that ideology are now in our government. They wow. are inside our government looking out. They are wow. the people in power. And that's what I, I want people to remember. That is the that is the significant thing that occurred, and it, you could say that it arguably that it kind of began with the church committee. We started loosening our defenses. We started feeling too secure in, in our own domination of the world, I guess you could say in a certain sense, and uh, after the Soviet Union fell. And uh, in fact, what we have done is we have now allowed this very, very dangerous ideology to uh, overcome our institutions. The FBI, uh, it, it has an office now of diversity, inclusion, and, and equity. 
all of this, th- this, that language, by the way, equity, inclusion, diversity, all of that, that, is, that fills the pages of what the Weather Underground wrote about in Prairie Fire. The term white supremacy, that is significant to the Prairie Fire plan to, uh, to essentially divide and conquer Americans. So all of these things are, are significant, and I wish people would, um, would compare the Democratic Party platforms and the document. You can go on, you can Google it, call Prairie Fire and read it, and, uh, and they'll see that we have bigger problems than we probably think. These people are a lot further along in how they want to essentially destroy America than most people, I think, realize. Absolutely. On the screen, I want to show this. This is what's going around Washington, D.C. on some of the uh, telephone poles and light poles. D.C. call to action, night of rage. The night the Supreme Court of the United States overturns Roe v. Wade hit the streets. You said you'd riot. Quote, to our oppressors. If abortions aren't safe, you're not either, in quote, Jane's revenge, Jane's revenge. Now, this to me, Terry, sounds a lot like the tactics, the violence, the tactics, and the insurrection of the weather underground. So I'm not sure, a, sure the tactics have changed, have they? The tactics haven't changed at all. In fact, uh, I think it's important, I'm glad you brought that out, it's important to um, have people understand that even though they kind of vanished from the scene and kind of uh, went in a different direction, as Bernie Sanders likes to call it. And I, I find this ironic. He's very careful always to say, we have begun the political revolution. We have begun the political revolution. Where He's very careful to say that. But everything about Bernie Sanders, including his early beginnings of uh, traveling to and providing aid and comfort to Nicaragua and El Salvador and all the hotbeds of communism back in the 70s and 80s. I mean, he even went to the, the former Soviet Union and uh, was sitting there with his wife dressed in nothing, uh, i.e. naked, in a, uh, a dinner function. All of that stuff, by the way, all of those uh, pictures, they're all locked up in uh, some university up there in Vermont. They, they won't release them. But my point here is uh, that is exactly what you said is exactly what they said. In fact, I'm going to read you something here. Our intention is to disrupt the empire, to attack from the inside, to engage the enemy, to wear away at him, to harass him, to isolate him, to agitate, to organize, because the only path to the final defeat of imperialism and the building of socialism is revolutionary war. And that is exactly uh, where we're heading, because we have a political party that is driving us in that direction. Where is, where is Merrick Garland with the, the notoriously now leaked memo about angry parents going to school board meetings where they had every right to be angry? Where is he now when Jane's revenge not only is threatening bombings and attacks, that has already claimed credit for them. I mean, where is the Department of Justice? Well, the Department of Justice, if you, if you went down the roster and looked at a lot of those names, those people have already expressed absolute hate, some of them, for America and what it stands for. And yet they're now in power. Wow. Let me read a quote. This is from an article by Larry Anderson. 
It's the rise and fall of Frank Church. The rise and fall of Frank Church. This is all going to be in my new part two documentary, Brainwashed Part Two this fall. The rise and fall of Frank Church, a lesson for conservatives by Larry Anderson. He says, quote, between the two investigations, referring to the Pike Committee and uh, Frank Church Committee, between the two investigations and subsequent reports of the committees, the top secret intelligence procedures, operations, and even the names of some active intelligence operatives working for the United States were made public and distributed to all of our enemies, including the Soviet Union, Communist China, North Korea, and communist regimes in Asia, Africa, and South America. The reports taken together literally destroyed America's worldwide intelligence gathering network. The Pike Committee report was so obviously and outrageously a threat to the intelligence community that even the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives voted against its publication. The report was nevertheless leaked to the media. Within days of the release of the reports and documents, thousands of people symptomatic to the cause of freedom, sympathetic to the cause of freedom in communist countries around the world were arrested. Hundreds of people simply disappeared. Most of them were executed. In the late 1970s, I worked for the Justice Department while I was in law school. I was able to meet some of the people mentioned in the documents and some individuals who knew the people rounded up by the communists as a result of the Church and Pike reports. Wow. You want to comment on that? Yes. Much of what was going on there kind of stemmed from Church trying to probe into the predication of a number of the FBI's investigations, particularly related to communist-type activities. And there was also a lot of interest in the FBI's investigation, I guess you could call it, of, of Dr. Martin Luther King. And this was coming dangerously close to the assets that I mentioned to you, the Childs brothers. And uh, the FBI was doing everything it could to protect Morris and, and Jack Childs uh, from having their identity revealed because uh, they were still very useful at that point in time. But uh, even though they had, you know, they had left uh, the, uh, the uh, Communist Party and it was becoming probably more known, they were, they were here in the U.S. And it, and it was becoming probably more known in some circles that the, uh, the FBI had been all over the KGB all those years. But the point is, Everything was being done to try to protect their identity and, and keep it from getting out. And um, the the church committee and Frank Church, in fact, were were just adamant that we want more details. We want more details. We don't believe what you're telling us about some of the predications. And one of the main issues happened to uh, involve uh, an individual named Stanley Levison, and uh, that's L-E-V-I-S-O-N, and Levison had been a very, very close friend and advisor of Dr. King. He was Al along with uh, Levison and Odell, right? Along with another individual named Jack Odell. And, and uh, for those people who, who may not uh, be uh, knowledgeable of, of these two names, uh, Levison and Odell were identified as Communist Party members. And they were, they were very integral in the uh, civil rights movement. Uh, and I guess today you'd, you'd call both of them activists, but the, uh, their involvement was so significant that with respect to Levison, who was with uh, Dr. King a lot, uh, again, 
President Kennedy and the Attorney General at the time, his brother Robert Kennedy, went to King on different occasions and separate occasions. President Kennedy would end up taking a walk in the Rose Garden with uh, Dr. King and impressed upon them, uh, impressed upon Dr. King that you need to shed yourself of any association with, um, with uh, Stanley Levison. And, and Dr. King simply refused to do that. And uh, that may not mean anything other than his loyalty, but the point is they were worried, and uh, J. Edgar Hoover was worried, the FBI was worried, that you're going to take away all the credibility of the civil rights movement if these people, it turns out, are uh, advising you and it, and it becomes public. I mean, because who's going to ever believe in the credibility of the movement? Well, the problem with all of this now, that, and, and this is something we don't like to talk about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and uh, I, I think people need to start thinking about it. Uh, and I'm not talking about black Americans. I am talking about the black power movement. The worry back then was that the black power movement was already undermined by the Soviets. And uh, they had adopted hook, line, and sinker, the communist ideology as it concerned America. America being a racist, oppressive, awful place full of white supremacists. Well, once again, uh, whether it was gaining much ground or traction then or uh, it has happened over decades, uh, I would make the argument today that everything that's going on in America that is, that is undermining our government institutions is certainly collect, connected to uh, the black power movement's uh, adherence to every one of those, those 10 uh, points that the Black Panther Party many years ago put in their 10-point plan. And again, back to the Prairie Fire document, because Prairie Fire also makes a big deal of the idea that we have to ally ourselves with the black power movement because we have to form a group of white, quote, anti-racists. Now, this today you'd probably translate into what we call the elitists who are trying to tell us that they're going to jam everything down our throat that we don't agree with, and if we're going to continue not to agree with it, they'll criminalize what we're, what we're not agreeing with, right? right. So that's where we're at today. And uh, I think that you can, you can look at what, again, the Democratic Party is doing. I went into a lot of detail and in their own words. But you can, again, look at their own platform. Their platform and what they want for America comes straight out of uh, Prairie Fire and straight out of the 10-point plan. One, one of the, uh, to give you an example, one of the things that the 10-point plan wants, reparations. Reparations. We want reparations because America is a terribly oppressive place that uh, basically uh, – invented slavery you know that's what they would have you believe and so what are we what are we now back to today we're back to reparations it's actually floated out there we've already seen a couple of weeks ago may not be reparations but what is biden doing he's he's paying uh, some of the uh, student loan debt you know so we're, we're starting to see politicians make decisions which i would say to you argue that they don't have any right making they have no right taking taxpayers' money and, and putting it in to their causes, which are aimed at one thing, and that's to develop political-minded people who 
who are going to go with what they believe and with what the Democratic Party wants to do. They, they've, they've literally arranged, we've reached that point where we have uh, politicians using public money to bribe people to vote for them. Absolutely. And so anything, anything goes, right? I, I will close this kind of train of thought with something. This is a quote from, um, from the uh, Prairie Fire. The individual capitalist family structure is a wasteful social form, not healthy for children. And, of course, they go on for pages uh, where they talk about this. But here's something that comes. We've talked about the Black Panthers. But here's something that comes, and uh, I think it's all been taken offline, but this was the initial, uh, I'll, I'll call it the, uh, the, the, the 10-point plan equivalent of Black Lives Matter. Listen to this one. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure uh, requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Uh, this, this movement today, this activism, these major goals of the Democratic Party have nothing to do with civil rights. They have nothing to do with racism. They have nothing to do with the idea that America is a supposedly uh, terribly oppressive white supremacist country. They have everything to do with the continuation of the communist revolution that I say for our modern day lifetime uh, was spelled out very clear for us by the Prairie Fire Manifesto and by the crowd that wrote it back in 1974. Back then, they were fine with attacking government installations, killing policemen, and, and placing bombs. And fast forward 70 years later, Jane's revenge is fine with making threats and, and, uh, and making good on those threats to bomb clinics because they disagree with the approach of what the people in those clinics are saying and doing. And the only difference between that and what happened then is that back in the 60s and 70s, the Democratic and the Republican Party were united in stating something that should have been a no-brainer. We are not going to tolerate violence in American cities. Today, Mary Garland is silent as we wait to see how the DOJ is going to respond to Jane's revenge. But we know this. There haven't been any memos saying, you better get together, FBI, with all the U.S. attorneys out there and figure out a plan. We haven't gotten that. We didn't get as much to deal with Jane's revenge as we've gotten to deal with angry parents who dared confront school boards locally and say you are not teaching our children to hate their country. Absolutely. While you were talking, I brought up another PowerPoint. This one is the uh, screenshot of a book. I think it came out in 1957, written by what was then uh, at one time. Not, he'd left the Communist Party when he wrote this book. But at one time, Manning Johnson was the highest ranking black communist in America. It was one of the highest, the highest ranking black communist in America. He left the Communist Party. He wrote a book. I think it was around 1957. I've done a whole TV show on it, a couple TV shows on it. Um, Color, Communism, and Common Sense. You should all get it and read it. Color, Communism, and Common Sense. In his one chapter, he writes, stirring up race and ca class conflict is the basis of all discussion of the Communist Party's work in the South. The evil genius Stalin and the other 
megalomaniacal leaders in Moscow ordered the use of all racial, economic, and social differences, no matter how small or insignificant, to start local fires of discontent, conflict, and revolt. Notice he's saying Stalin here, folks. He says, black rebellion was what Moscow wanted. Bloody racial conflict would split America. During the confusion, demoralization and panic would set in. Then finally, the Reds say, and he goes on to quote them later, and I didn't get to the quote, but here we go to this next plot. Concocted by Stalin in 1928, any credit for the change of belongings in the main to a ha handful of black Americans were James W. Ford, Harry Haywood, Otto Hall, Lovett Ford Whitman, and Otis uh, Hooswood. Now, who are these folks? <clears throat> this was concocted, look, by Stalin in 1928. And then he names these black Americans. Who were these guys? They were all influential in the Communist Party movement. Some of them actually went to be trained in Moscow. Look at this. Here's one of them. Lovett Huey Fort Whitman. Speaking at the American, at the time they used this word, Negro Labor Congress in 1925. Listen now. Time Magazine in 1925. Time Magazine. Time Magazine in 1925 called him, Whitman, quote, the reddest of the blacks, end quote. So what happened was guys like J uh, J James W. Ford, another one. Look at the screenshot. What's that coming from, folks? The Communist Party USA. And um, then it says here in 1928, he was sent to the Soviet Union to the Fourth Congress of Red International Labor Unions. Talking about who? Talking about Mr. Ford. Where did he go, folks? To the Soviet Union. So some of these gentlemen went over, including Ford and others, to Moscow for training. And of course, Ford was on the Communist Party ticket. Ford ran for vice president on the Communist Party ticket in 1932, 36, and 40. So what I'm saying, of course, uh, Harry Hayward went on to write a book, Black Bolshevik, okay? Now, the, the point I'm making is that the former highest ranking black communist uh, goes on, Manning Johnson says they were the ones who again and again begged their masters in Moscow to force the white leaders of the Communist Party of the United States to organize and use the blacks. They were the ones who got in on the ground floor of the conspiracy. They were the ones that history may well record as the political Uncle Toms who plotted with a diabolical alien power the moral decay, physical slavery, and spiritual death of their own race. They were the ones that were saying to Moscow and the communists, quit talking about it, let's do it. And they actually, some of them went willingly to Moscow for their training. Let me give you one last slide before Terry comments. Most of them were given professional revolutionary training in the United States and Russia under direct orders from Stalin. As a result, Negro Reds began looking to Moscow. Stalin became the great and just, quote, father, end quote, who could be relied upon to settle the many differences between white and Negro communists. Wow. Terry? Well, everything that you just read is such a great history of how this all developed and the techniques and tactics that were passed down uh, in large part by the, the KGB, which was very, very effective over the years. And uh, you mentioned, for example, the training in Moscow. We used to look at people when we were looking at Americans and uh, had a good predication to have uh, initiated an investigation. We used to look and uh, try and determine, have they traveled overseas? Have they, have they traveled, for example, to the Soviet Union? Have they traveled to the Eastern Bloc? Have they traveled to Cuba? And, uh, in fact, Morris Childs, who was recruited uh, over here, 
do his CPUSA work, but then taken eventually after he was given uh, a lot of training here, he was eventually taken or, or went on a trip overseas to, uh, at the time, the Soviet Union, and he got extensive training over there before they kind of thrust him upon uh, our country as, as a, a very significant a person who would become a very significant agent. So that is exactly what they do. And, you know, when you talk about that, uh, to just kind of bring it back to modern day, uh, Brandon, it's the, the danger. This, these are not just um, stories that people think they watch and enjoy on television while they're eating popcorn and having a great time. These people that uh, are in this business are dead serious about what they want to do with people that they want to find, identify, and recruit to basically be traitors to their country. And I want to I want to point out something that I haven't seen too many people discussing anywhere in the media or anywhere on on television, and that is the idea that all of this that's going on today, this this discussion that is now spread to the military, it's spread to major corporations that have been extorted by BLM, and uh, it, it is spread to our schools and to young people. This idea, this hatefulness that America is this oppressive, awful country that has a terrible history that it should pay for and pay for forever, this, this is the line that the KGB for decades used to recruit Americans. This is how you soften someone up mentally and make them feel so guilty and then come back around and identify them in a sensitive position later in their life. And you go to them and they're already wound up and ready to roll the minute they get the pitch because they already have that indoctrination. And that is now going on. It's going on through the form of critical race theory. It's going on through the form of all this woke nonsense. It's going on across our institutions. And we are becoming from both directions, from people inside right now who are not looking out for our interests and from people that haven't even thought about this much later who will be approached one day and they're already softened up because they've been raised in an environment where all they've done is listen, uh, unknown to them, to the, uh, to the communist ideology pitch. And someday the Chinese will be coming to them. Someday the Cubans will be coming to them. Someday maybe the Russians will be coming to them. And they will say, look, uh, how about helping us? Because, you know, your country is a racist country. Oh, yeah, I know that. That's true. Yeah, you know, you, you're right. You have a lot of credibility because that's what I've been told my whole life. And then when I got into the government, my own government agency told me that with our new training. I mean, this, this is like mad. This is, this is insanity. And people must start waking up. There have been a lot of victories lately, obviously, for people who, who have worked so hard to go out and, and, and do what it takes to confront a local school board and, and to try and be, uh, to remain at least somewhat diplomatic and, and say, look, you're not doing this to our kids. And, and there have been these kind of things, you know, the elections in Virginia last year that, that occurred. Uh, major revolt. But the problem is Biden is the president. The Senate and the House are in the hands of the Democrats. And the Department of Justice is looking the other way. And so our institutions continue to be penetrated. Our schools continue to spread indoctrination. And when they're caught, they tell kids, hey, 
uh, we're going to keep talking about this, but we're going to do it more discreetly. Lie to your parents if they ask you about this. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that is out of control. And until we start using some of the tactics of the, uh, the left, and I don't mean violence, but until we start uh, looking at having liability laws, hey, I don't care what you do or what your position is, you ought to be able to go after people that take an oath and don't mean it at all. From day one when they take office, they are laughing about the oath they took, and they go about destroying the very society that they pledged to protect. Wow. We, we need to start about taking their homes and, and taking their money and their bank accounts. Why can't we? They are fraud. When you go on television and you intentionally lie, that's fraud by wire. When you send a mailer out and say, I stand for this, but you know that you stand for something else, that's mail fraud. Where, where are all the violations? And we're not even getting into the conspiracy that is obvious between the U.S. government and countless front organizations and people who are out there now and unions who are literally out there standing ready to conspire with the U.S. government to attack us, again, based on communist ideology and the implementation of what the Democrats call their Democratic Party platform. This is beyond politics now. I mean, uh, I'll just close this thought with this. I mean, once again, look at what Barack Obama, we now know. We, we all suspected it if we had half a brain. He sat in the Oval Office and had James Comey there, his own acting attorney general. Sally Yates didn't even know what they were talking about. And they were literally teeing up Russia Trump. And uh, Barack Obama was into all of that up to his eyeballs as he left office. And for years, for years, uh, we watched Donald Trump be one of those people you talked about who's just been pillared and attacked. And it was all false. It was all phony. And today we are watching brought to us by the same liars who went on TV and went on the air for years Talking about Russia, Trump, they're now bringing us uh, on prime time, uh, January 6th. How can, we, how can we sit and continue to listen to this malarkey? And again, I, I say this, the FBI that we knew would have been out there talking for us, and they wouldn't have cared what the Democrats or the Republicans or the Attorney General thought. They would have been out there talking about the threat posed by this. They would have been talking about recruitments and how they're connected to the mindset and all of these things that I just tried to point out, uh, but not today's FBI. Today's FBI is a, um, is, is a real catastrophe, and it's sad because there are hardworking people in it, uh, but you know what? I think it's too big, and I think it has lost its uh, will to be independent and fight for what is right, and I think there are countless examples of case after case after case that have been blown because of this new attitude. It was begun by Mueller, and Mueller uh, transformed the FBI, just like Barack Obama began the transformation of America. Mm. And if today what is going on in our country, if you think it's good, then that's fine. I don't, and I don't think it's going to get better because we're not going to we're not going to ever accommodate ourselves and find a negotiation point with people who now are off to their next goal. And you hear it in little snippets all the time. They do not like the idea of Christianity and God and even the word prayers. That's very offensive to these people. One of these days with everything that they're trying to do, 
we're going to come to the ultimate uh, confrontation where it's going to be uh, freedom of religion against the government wanting to pass a new law that tells some church, you can't use that language about male and female. Now, that's not going to end well. And that goes right to what you said and illustrated with all your examples. This is about violence and revolution and the real insurrection and the real problem. It is not about white supremacy. That is all communist ideologue talk that's existed and been around for decades. That is how they roll. And we have to understand that. And we'll only understand it if we talk about it more, not less. Hmm. Here's a, scr a screenshot of Edward Levy, Attorney General for President Gerald Ford after the Church and Pike Committees. Columnist, he put in the, what were called the Levy Guidelines that tied the hands of the FBI. And col columnist Stan Evans quoted the then FBI Director William Webster as saying, quote, we're practically out of the domestic security field, end quote. And of course, this led Ronald Reagan la later in 1987 to say, I remember there was once a Congress in which they had a committee that would investigate even one of their own members if it was believed that that person had communist involvement or communist leanings. Well, they've done away with those committees. That shows the success of what the Soviets were able to do in this country with making it unfashionable to be anti-communist, end quote. Do we, do we have time, Brandon, for one more comment? One more comment. Yes, sir. Yeah, so going with what you said, yeah, they replaced those committees with the House Judiciary Committee. Today, Gerald Nadler, the Democrat from New York, is the head of that. Gerald Nadler spent several years of his career teeing up a former Weather Underground fugitive, Susan Rosenberg, and two others who were involved in a terrible, terrible crime involving the killing of an armored car driver and two Nyack New York police, mm. police officers back in the uh, 1980s. And it was all connected to a uh, weather underground type uh, attack to get money to uh, finance the revolution. And Nadler teed her up so that she would get a complete pardon for her role in that. And he later was quoted as saying, hey, she only had a couple of sticks of dynamite. And, you know, in that case, a, a couple cops were killed. That's how he that's how he wow. ended what he had to say about it. And he's now sitting on top of the Judiciary Committee. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? That's my friend Terry Turchi, the former Deputy Assistant Director of the Counterterrorism Division of the FBI. If you take a look at the screen, you can go to Amazon and order his excellent book, In Their Own Words, subtitled, The Democratic Party's Push for a Communist America. He's also working on a brand new book, folks, and I'm eager to read and to interview him about that brand new book. Terry, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. You take care. You too. Terry Turchy, folks, again, I hope you get his book in their own words. And folks, if you, if you appreciate what we're doing, where else would you hear this? Please go to MyPillow.com, use that promo code L77 and save and support this show in this network. I'm Brandon House in for Mike Lindell. Take care. You're watching Lindell TV. <laughs>